So I asked this question of Jenny last night uh, because I had to do a little research. And uh, I kind of reviewed your Boston University podcast, oh. uh, which was very interesting. Um, and But there was one question that I had. I went back to, uh, I believe it was July of 1969, yep. that we were all fixated on our black and white TVs watching a man step out of a module and walk on the moon. I believe that would have been 1969. Yeah. Yeah. And I asked Jenny, I said, so what were the first words that were spoken? And you know what? She knew the answer. And the answer was? The eagle has landed. The eagle has landed. So today, our eagle has landed. So congratulations, eagle. Now, I also have to make some qualifications here. Jenny and I have not chatted. Historically, I usually speak with the guests a little bit and get a feel. So we are cold on this one. <laughs> but uh, she did get a set of the questions, which I told her would be softball. I'll leave the hard questions to the scientists and the politicians and all that other stuff to you guys. So uh, we have one microphone. We're going to be kind of passing back and forth. But uh, Jenny, to start, what I'd love to have you do is give you a little background on growing up here in Omaha, kind of neighborhood, your, your experiences, schools you went to, and some of the activities. Okay. Sure, so uh, I grew up in Park Meadows Trailer Park, which is at like 105th and Ida. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was bused to Pinewood Elementary. Um, and, and Pinewood's over by, for those of you who don't know, Hale. Nathan Hale. Yeah. <laughs> Close to Nathan Hale. Um, and uh, so, you know, as we talked about a little bit uh, last night, and I mentioned in my speech, I, you know, I grew up in a trailer park. Pinewood was a, a majority free lunch uh, school, so I, I kind of fit in there very well. And then uh, for junior high, I went to Morton uh, Junior High School, and it was a bit of a different story. Um, so I do, when I speak to kids and teachers, I tell them that, you know, being female and, and being from a lower socioeconomic class, that I did get some discouragement growing up. Um, and I did start to really face that in junior high because, um, you know, in elementary school, I had really supportive teachers. And, uh, you know, my math teacher, or sorry, my, son, my, my sixth grade teacher had taken me ahead in math. Um, when I was at Pinewood and then when I moved to junior high they didn't want to deal with that and I, I really feel like because my parents weren't that powerful or in the PTA or whatever that um, that kind of made that situation worse um, and I felt like there was a lot of subconscious bias against people being able to see my potential um, and, and we also uh, talked about, you know, why why I picked Central. I mean, it was a college prep school. Because that wasn't your home attendance school. No, I, I was supposed to go to Northwest. Um, my brother did go there for a year, and he moved to Central. He's one year older than me. Um, and, uh, you know, it was college prep. Like, all the smart kids went there, um, and I liked that it. it was downtown, and it was uh, definitely a better fit. Um, as far as activities, uh, I, I had a family member that um, helped pay for me to do gymnastics, so I did that uh, from age five. Uh, I stopped doing club gymnastics in eighth grade, but I did compete for Central, 
and also for Wait a minute, wait a minute. I never knew Central had a gymnastics. We did, yeah, yeah. It, up until my my senior year, we were combined with North, and then I don't know what happened after that. But we did, and we would, um, up in the old gym is where we would um, do our practices. And um, I also competed for, for Boston University and for Oxford, so I did that all the way through graduate school. My last meet was the British University Championship. So wow. at 25, and then I sat down to write my dissertation, and it didn't come out for six months. <laughs> So I also did at Central, uh, sporting-wise, I was on the varsity cheerleading squad, I was co-captain. Um, I did track, so I was a hurdler, and I'm five foot five, so it either went really well or really not. <laughs> um, I'm supposed to be about five seven or taller. Um, and then outside of athletics, I did you know all the honor societies. I enjoyed doing the French Convention. I was in the International Thespian Society, so I was. I did some drama, um, roadshow. Uh, my my best friends, Kai and Stacy, were in a hip hop dance group. We were all in a hip hop dance group together. I tell my son that, and he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, I I used to be young. Um, so and then uh, you know quiz bowls, physics club, um, all the all the nerd things, all the athletic things. There's a lot of opportunity, and then just hanging out downtown. So you were really a busy girl. Yeah. Wow. I like, I like to be busy. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the transition to Central, mm -hmm. I'm interested in that. So yes. you're coming from outside the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. What was the part that attracted you to the downtown other than the act? You made that comment, I, I like the downtown. Yeah, I'm a city person, I feel like. I like being around lots of different kinds of people and um, I feel better in urban settings. So I live in a suburb of Houston right now and it's kind of like, uh, it's okay because it's close to work, but I like uh, we, we staycation in the city. Um, I loved living in Boston. Um, so yeah, just that feel, it's sort of a fun place to hang out with different people. Kind and, of exotic. Yeah, and eclectic coffee shops and things, yeah, yeah. And even the library downtown, I would go after school to that library in the Clark Club, which is under construction now, <laughs> being torn down. But, yeah. So, um, you mentioned a little bit about Central. So let me ask you about teachers and classes that had impact on you. Mm -hmm. Maybe some that didn't, I don't know. Um, and then obviously you've touched on some of those activities, gymnastics, but talk to me about your teachers and your classes, and I think you're a Doc Muller baby, is that right? I am, yeah. Okay, yes. maybe some of the administrators, if you have any opinion yeah. on that. Yes, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have that much, I actually had the most interaction with Mrs. Nared, who oh, ended up, yeah. Yeah, who ended up being the uh, principal at North. And uh, my younger brother and sister went to North, and we love them anyway, it's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Mrs. Mary was the one that I interacted with the most. Um, and then teachers, and for anyone who heard my speech last night, sorry, you're gonna hear it again, because uh, I did I did already mention some, but Ms. Kovarik is here. Um, she Stand was up, Dee, yeah. I mean, she's a legend. Yeah. You might have even, I might have even had Algebra 2 with you, I can't remember, but Trigging Calculus for sure. Um, uh, very impactful. And then uh, Mrs. Jordan's here as well. She was my drama teacher for three years. Um, so I would be even more shy right now talking to you if uh, not for drama class. 
And last night I also mentioned Mr. Marsh who taught me chemistry and physics, really great hands-on activities in his class. So it was really easy to, to you know, embrace my passion. My, my PhD was in a research-oriented, hands-on kind of field. So that's really how I learned the best. Um, who else? Dr. Wolf was my advanced placement Aww. physics teacher. Yeah, and he had two daughters studying engineering at Dartmouth, and I had never heard of engineering before. So, I he said, you know, it's math, it's science, it's problem solving, and I went, How? <laughs> you know, I do that really well. So, um, yeah, so I ended up picking engineering. Oh gosh, who else? Who am I leaving out? Uh, my my gymnastics coach, uh, Ms. Kozak. Um, you know, Janine and I were on the cheerleading squad together, so. Um, several sponsors. For <laughs> yeah. They continue. That's a hard coaching. job. That's a hard job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, pretty good life at Central. Yeah. Okay. Now we get after. Yeah. And talk to me a little bit. Now I know you're a graduate of Boston University. You also have a master's from there. Yeah, I did them at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah. Tell me the Boston. Yeah. So, so, and tell me about why Boston University. Okay. Um, so first of all, I just want to say the reason I was able to do their four-year BSMS program, and I took five because I took a year off between sophomore and junior year to do my um, cooperative education. It's like an internship that you get paid. I, I moved to Houston for a full year to do that at NASA. And for my young people out there, looking at you, Ira, internships, my dear, internships are, are so big. Um, but I was able to do that in four years of schooling because I had so much advanced placement credit from Central. I had a full year of European history, American history. And by the way, Ms. Valdrighi was my world history teacher. Taught me to, to seek the truth, question authority, one, definitely one of my favorites. And she had the task of teaching us world history and did it in a way, even in the 1990s, that um, makes some parents in Texas scared. Very, <laughs> not talking about. Um, and, and that was very valuable for me to start thinking about second guessing what media throws at me and the subconscious biases and all of that. And that is where my education and that started. Um, but she had to teach world history and all of those things. And we took the test on European history, which was only really the second semester of that class. So that was a big challenge. And I scored well enough to have a full year of uh, European history. And then of course, calculus got a five on that exam, cover. Um, and AP Physics, so I got out of all my classical physics. I, I ended up taking modern physics as a freshman, which I don't necessarily recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I had a minus, it was okay. Um, so yeah, I had so much advanced placement credit, that's how I was able to do that. Why did I pick Boston? So um, again, I, I got the field at Boston. Because right now, now you're thinking about space or you're thinking about engineering? Both. Both. So I'm looking for aerospace engineering programs. Okay. Okay. And um, so just a little, little bit more of a story. Um, when I was seven and my dad took me to see the right stuff and I said I want to be an astronaut, I told everyone I was going to study astrophysics at MIT. And I said that for the longest time until about the time I got into junior high and things happened, right? And actually, and I don't know if you remember this dad, but the, the summer before my senior year, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know, college, I might do this hip-hop dance, I might like try to, you know, <laughs> go be a fly girl in living color or something, I don't know. <laughs> and my dad's a bricklayer, and he does other things on the weekends, he took me roofing. And being a gymnast, I'm pretty strong, so, you know, I'm going up and down the ladder carrying stuff all day, and it's like this black tar and the black paper, and it's July. And he was paying me $10 an hour, which is a lot in 1994, right? Three, ninety three. At the end of the day, right, I'm like, oh, you go, how's that $10 feel now? I'm like, all right, I'm going to college. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, 
So I was finally thinking about it again, and then Dr. Muller talked about, or not Dr. Muller, sorry, doctors, Dr. Wolf. Dr. Wolf talked about engineering. And I went, okay, maybe not astrophysics, but I could do aerospace. I'm a strong leader. I do the math, the science, I do the problem solving. Like, I could do aerospace engineering. And now all of a sudden, I'm kind of back on track. And that's why I really think that God put certain people in my life, and he's one of them, because at that moment, kind of, okay. And MIT came to visit Central for like a college, you know, whatever, the, the, when they set up the tables, you know? And I went, okay, and Boston sounds really cool because there's lots of different people. There's like 100 colleges in the area. You learn so much outside of class as in addition to inside class. And so I said, the only accredited aerospace engineering programs in Boston, or even really in New England, Boston University and MIT. So I could only afford to apply to two colleges because they're like 50 bucks a pop. So I applied and to those two. you were done roofing, right? I was done roofing. <laughs> yeah, one, yeah, one roofing. Um, MIT rejected me. I cried for two hours. And it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Because they took really good care of me at BU. Um, and that's really, if you look at the history of BU and what's important to them now, I mean, right now, 20% uh, of this year's uh, freshman class are Pell Grant recipients and they have full need met without student loans because BU is so committed to having um, real diversity and opportunity and when you're there they take care of you. So also if I had gone to MIT I would have been able to co-op and I would have met my husband. So <laughs> my, my internship got me a grad school scholarship, a job and a husband. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up in, in Boston. Okay. So You've talked a little bit about you found a husband, <laughs> a little bit about your family before we get into Artemis. We're leading all okay. this up to it. Sure, sure. So my current family. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, so they're in Houston right now because Marcus is hopefully in school. Um, <laughs> so my husband, Ron, we met as, as interns. Uh, he was at Georgia Tech. I was at BU. And we started dating. And then I went to England. And he stayed here and got a job. and. We stayed together, uh, and then he proposed to me at Rhodes Ball in the garden at Rhodes House. It was very sweet. After he held open the, the porta potty door for Chelsea Clinton, that's his claim to fame. So uh, Rhodes House portico was being uh, demolished and rebuilt because the foundation was bad and the restrooms had been under there. So that year at the ball, they had porta johns, and Chelsea Clinton's first year was my third year, and he happened to hold the porta potty door to Chelsea. So. And then he got engaged. So he was a Rhodes Scholar as well. No. So I had to buy the tickets um, when he came to visit me. Yeah. So that's how that. That's so how I gotta we get go that, in the 21st century. Yeah. So let me get the transition. So he. he he's in Georgia Tech. He's I'm in Boston. And then I moved to England, and he moved to as Houston. As a Rhodes Scholar. Yeah. And then he moved to Houston. How hard was it to become a Rhodes Scholar? Well, I mean, it's like it's like rolling rolling the dice, right? So let me just let me just give you a story on that one. I'm in my junior year at BU and I can't afford my senior year, like I did the math. I'm maxed out on loans. And so I'm like, I don't want to take a year off because that's a death knell, right? So I applied for this scholarship um, in, that BU has that is for one female in the entire junior class and it pays for your whole senior year. And I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to get because there's, you know, 3,000 people in, in the class for undergrads. But if you don't get that one, you have opportunity to get other scholarships. I'm like, I just need like $10,000. So I just need, because full tuition and whatever, at BU at that time, like $30,000 for full tuition room and board per year, right? I'm like, I just need 10. 
and then I got the loans and everything. And uh, I got that scholarship. And the person who called me to tell me I got it was in the Office of Fellowships and Scholarships at BU. And he said, you know, you'd be a really good Rhodes candidate because you have this leadership, you have a sport, you have a commitment to humanity of like community service, um, as well as academic excellence. And those are good components for Rhodes. And um, when he called me, my art history friend is sitting next to me. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to. I'm gonna graduate and then go move to Houston and I might get a second master's in geology, but I'm really not interested in it, you know. And he's like, okay, all right, let me know if you change your mind. And then I'm sitting next to my friend after the phone call, and a few minutes later, we were watching TV. Um, a few minutes later, I go, was that dumb? And she goes, yes, do you know what that is? Like, <laughs> call him back. So I called him back. I said, you know, I'll, I'll come talk to you. And you're always like, I, yeah, that would be best. So I mean, I, well, I almost didn't. Um, and the thing about the roads is you show up, and, and my parents know this because I would talk to them about it. At the time, it was a two-step process. Now it's one. But at the time, I showed up for the state interviews in Nebraska. And I want to note, the Nebraska cocktail party the night before the interviews was um, store-bought cookies and two-liter bottle soda. Because when I went to regionals, which were in Minnesota, it was like a full like sit down three quarters thing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Nebraska. Right? <laughs> okay. um, so I mean, you know, there was really impressive people. Even in the Nebraska one, there were um, seven people were invited to interviews, and we only got one that go to regionals. And I told my parents, we talked about the, the Egypt guy. There's this guy who was like teaching English in Egypt with the Jesuits. Way more impressive. I had never even been out of the country, right? I'm like, he's gonna get it. And then it happened, and then I get to Missouri, and everybody's more. So I have no idea. Yes, it's hard, but it's hard for everybody, and it's crapshoot as far as like how what you do. I have no idea exactly what happened. As a matter of fact, when I went to the regionals in uh, Minnesota, the night before the interviews when we're having the dinner, a couple of fellow candidates came over and started grilling me about space flight being a waste of money. And, you know, I'm thinking like Rhodes Scholars are these sophisticated people who are cynical and all things space flight's a waste of money, and, but I'm giving it back because I'm passionate about it, right? And I, I think actually that worked in my favor more than I thought. And then also, um, you know, I had, I had said something about being Christian and um, that there was a, a interview panel member sitting next to me and said it, it was better to go to Oxford Agnostic. Um, because, I don't know, you learn more, you're more open-minded. I don't know how I'm not open-minded, but that's okay. Um, and during the interview, they asked me if I had any other subject I want to study, what would it be? And I said, actually, I'm really intrigued by religion because I have a very strong faith and I don't, I don't think it's going to be, you know, threatened that much if I learn about other people's faiths and I'm really intrigued by other people. Um, and I was like, oh, I just, I just did myself in. Like, that, <laughs> that agnostic guy doesn't like me now, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, well. And it, but it was one of those things where I was just like, you know, this is such a crapshoot. I might as well just be myself and passionately myself. And, um, you know, I do a lot of praying. And I'm like, I'm, I'm here for a reason. And whatever happens, happens. And they said my name, and then I couldn't hear anything else for a few minutes. <laughs> and then I called my mom. <laughs> From the room, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Very so, cool. hard. But then you found your husband. <laughs> that was the whole deal. The whole important thing about interning, yes. <laughs> so, we got to get on. We're going to get the spouse out yeah, of Yeah, we got to get the maths up. So, yeah. uh, we could talk for hours. I, our cold call would have been really good. Um, 
you've been working for NASA all along, is that correct? Mm -hmm. So why you were in Oxford, mm -hmm. you come back to the States, mm -hmm. you go mm -hmm. full-time yeah. work to NASA. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the path. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, I, I did go away for three full years. I was supposed to come back every summer as a co-op because that's what it says on paper. And um, we would, we, like, I, the co-op office kind of had like a wink wink with me. So I'd call every summer and go, you know, I can't make it. They go, oh, okay. See, you know, you're not supposed to do that. But um, when you have rows on your resume, like people, people sometimes help you. So um, I came back full time in 2002. I started out as a trajectory analyst and then was selected to um, train as a flight dynamics officer a couple of years later. I was also the liaison from JSC to United States Strategic Command um, pretty early on in my career, about six months after I started, Columbia happened. And we realized that our relationship with the DOD had sort of, um, you know, fallen by the wayside a bit. Um, and so they asked me to help. And again, the Rhodes thing, I think, came out to play because they were like, well, if she's a Rhodes Scholar, she can probably talk to people and stuff. <laughs> I was like three ranks too low for that position, but I had doctor in front of my name and Rhodes, so like the military guys were okay with it. Um, and uh, so as a flight dynamics officer, I was responsible for knowing the trajectory. So where is the shuttle? Where does it need to be? How does it need to get there? Um, and mission control is very much like high pressure and team leadership and um, a lot of fun for me. And then the shuttle ended and I uh, applied to become a manager. So for about six and a half years, I was uh, a manager for flight controllers in the space station flight control room. So I got to help them learn how to be better flight controllers. And um, I really enjoy management and helping people be their best. That's my favorite part. Um, and then after uh, 16 years in flight operations, as many things as that are good about flight operations, great places to have leadership development, and I had a really fun time there. I really appreciate what they did. I did find myself in a situation where my success, plus a little bit of, if we're honest, sexism. Because um, I was going to ask you about this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're talking a pretty quick trajectory here. Yeah, and, um, and I did that because my management asked me to because we didn't have enough flight dynamics officers in the launch and entry area. And a lot of the people that I would later find out were bad-mouthing me um, didn't agree to, like they, they were asked to go into asset entry and they said they wanted to stay in orbit. So it's it like, I can't help it that you didn't do that, right? But I didn't have that political status. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know what was going on. I kind of felt like things were happening, like micro-messaging, right? But I, I was telling myself it was all in my head, and I'm just being too sensitive, but it's not, by the way, for my young people out there, it's not all in your head, you're not being too sensitive. Um, I, did, I did learn better, right? Um, and I, you know, I learned some strategies for countering that, and I did learn how to spend the appropriate amount of energy making people more comfortable with me, but I really like for our young people to not have to do that. So I kind of try to battle that. I try to push back on subconscious biases now, but I got into a position where I was constantly battling a narrative with myself. Even though I was doing a great job as a manager, I was told things like, you have one speed, intense. I applied for flight director selection, y'all, and they told me I was too intense to be a flight director. Like, think about that for a minute. <laughs> what? Um, I was a well, you did want you did want to be a yeah you wanted yeah. to be a fly girl, yeah. right? Um, yeah, so it it kind of 
it just got exhausting, and so I was looking for a, what I thought would be a temporary way out, and um, the folks in the artist campaign were looking for um, people with my experience. So four years ago, I, I moved directorates, and all of a sudden, I have people who are really impressed with me and really appreciative of what I can do, and they like me for who I am, and they can see like the three-dimensional me. And it's so liberating, and I've been able to be really successful in that organization, so now I don't want to go back. So <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to stay um, with, with the Artemis campaign. I, I can't say now, but there are some opportunities coming available for me um, and that I'll probably be able to talk about in, in a month or so where I can um, move up the chain a little bit. So I'm really excited about that, and I am having fun helping people be their best in the role that I'm in now. Cool. Talk about Artemis. Artemis. So Artemis is the twin sister of Apollo. Um, so it is meant to be sort of the uh, follow-on to the Apollo moon missions in the 60s. So in the Apollo missions, we sent 12 white dudes to equatorial locations in the moon. Artemis, I'm excited to say, will be a more representative group of folks uh, representing all of humanity in uh, exploring another celestial body. Not only are the NASA astronauts more representative of American society, we also are pulling in international partners. So there will be more than one black phone. Uh, and we are going to the lunar south pole. So the reason we want to go south pole are there's ice deposits there because there are permanently shaded regions like the craters. I'm doing craters this way because this is the south pole. Um, the craters. Uh, the way that the sun shines is you know, similar to Earth, more on the equator, and it's more dark at the poles, right? So um, the, it's a very low elevation, and then you have the deep craters, so there's a bunch of ice in there that stays. It doesn't evaporate because it's so cold in there. And what that means is we can go and we can use that ice and mine it for water. Um, there are also other, we call it in situ or in place resource utilization. So there are other things that we can use in the lunar soil to make power, to make propellant and water. So um, it's really gonna be this experiment of sustainable living, which you know is important on Earth. So hopefully we'll develop some technologies doing that that will help us with sustainable living here on Earth. And also we're practicing to go to Mars. Um, Mars is nine months to get there, right? Whereas the moon is a few days. And the moon, we have a few seconds of communication delay each way. Mars, when it's its furthest from Earth, it takes 20 minutes for a signal to get there and 20 minutes for it to come back. So a 40-minute round trip, like we're not helping anyone with an emergency from Earth, right? So it's going to be important to practice all of our skills and look at our habitat and our rovers and um, get all of that operational expertise a little bit closer to home before we go to Mars. So let me ask this base question. I'm going to ask your question now, Mr. Cortez. <laughs> I think there's an answer there already, but I also have a follow-up question of why are we going to the moon? Henry said, ask her why yeah. are we? We've been there, done that. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't been there, done that at the level we're going to. No. But yeah, the, the majority of the reason is we're not yet ready to go to Mars. And I know there are people out there who would disagree with me saying that, so let me caveat it this way. When NASA does uh, human exploration, we like to bring the people back home. Okay? If you go to Mars right now, it's one way. You know, we need to figure out the radiation situation. We need to figure out how to keep people alive for a year so that we can then get them back home. Um, my husband will tell you the landing is a little bit hairy. 
So uh, we're not ready. We're not ready yet, and we could be better. So. So is that driven? So I'm going to go to the Mars part of this because mm -hmm. it's pretty obvious. I'm somewhat of a cynic okay. because I'm connected right. to Central. Okay. Right. okay? Yep. But, but Come you know, I'm not going to take you out. The question I've got is, so so who benefits from this, okay. ultimately? Yeah. We're going to go to Mars, mm -hmm. and is it about the product development? Is it about raw yeah. materials? And is this going to be equally distributed when they come back? Or oh, is there going to be these organizations yeah. that become these power conglomerates and yeah. have access that other, you know, it's the I question mean, I ask. Yeah. Is there an ethical and a moral yes. Premise. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, anything can happen, and those are definitely concerns that we have. So, in space law, um, nobody is allowed to claim any part of the planet anymore. Um, I can't comment on any other country, but when NASA brings samples back, they're absolutely available to people all over the world. Um, there's a lot of people doing some really great work with curation at Johnson to make sure that the samples stay pristine and get to where they need to go. Um, as far as the land, when we get there, the, you know, the UN has said that you can't own it. It has to be an international. We have to all be helping each other out. But I mean, you know, I've read the sci-fi books too. I know there's a there's a possibility for um, Elon Musk. I'm not sure. I mean, there there are a lot of resources on Mars, yeah. right, that people can can pull from and mine when it becomes more economically feasible. So I mean, that is a possibility. But that is a conversation that's absolutely going on. yeah absolutely. Okay. Okay. I don't know, Henry, any follow-ups? Okay. So, in essence, as we go through Artemis, and, and we've had some delays, no. okay? I, I don't want to throw that too hard at you, no. because I believe that it was a couple months we should have probably already been up. Yeah. Can you talk about the new timeline yeah, sure. of mm -hmm. what things are going to happen? Yeah. So, you know, I had experience with shuttle. We have delays. It is a bit more heartbreaking because I'm really excited about this one. Um, the next opportunity for Artemis 1 will be, they're advertising November 14th, but it is like 12.07 a.m. Kennedy Space Center time. So for you central time frame folks, time zone folks, it is 11.07 um, p.m. on the 13th. Okay, so it's gonna, November 13th, uh, is the next opportunity. So far, everything's looking good with the vehicle. Um, so, you know, we'll see how it plays out. How many? How many are going to go? This time, no First people. Time. No, no people. people. This is uncrewed because they need to test out the rocket and the capsules the first time they'll be together. So there's no um, environmental control system on it either. Snoopy's flying. Okay. Snoopy's flying with some sensors. Um, and they have some cute names for a couple of mannequins. <laughs> if I can remember them. They're, they're cute, but I can't remember them. Um, I'm not good with names. Um, Artemis 2 is currently slated, I want to say, uh, 2024. That will be the first crewed mission. And what they're going to do for Artemis 2 is get into a high Earth orbit. So it's it's about a, a day and a half to two days of orbiting around the Earth just to make sure that the environmental control system and stuff works closer to Earth. Yeah. And because there's performance taken out in order to get into that high Earth orbit, they're not going to have the performance to actually orbit around the moon. So they're going to do a free return trajectory. So if you've seen Apollo 13, we're going to do that on purpose. Um, and that's about a 10-day mission uh, for crew. How crew? Four, five? Four. 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 There's four seats okay. on Orion. They're not all next to each other, like old school Apollo or even Dragon. They're um, two on top and two below and really good shocks. Uh, and then Artemis 3 is the first landing in 2025. 
And that will be also four people. Four people in Orion heading out to meet with the lander in orbit around the moon, and then two go down to the surface. So when do we... And then they come back up when we come home. I can get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, asking, I'm getting too excited here. Uh, when do we put the space station down? What's the plan there? So ISS just got extended to... And I'm talking about on the moon. Oh, oh, you the mean the base. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. So the gateway station is also going to be in orbit around the moon. That's part of the staging. Um, and that's happening in the next few years. Um, you will probably, so there's going to be two more uh, landing missions testing out both the SpaceX and another company uh, lander after they dock to Gateway. So there'll be two missions docking to Gateway. So that's Artemis 4 and 5. Um, and now you're in about the 2028 timeframe. And then we'll start launching the pressurized rover, uh, which is not just the buggy like you saw in Apollo. Uh, we will have a, a buggy in LTV. But we'll also have the pressurized rover, which has like a, a bubble that astronauts can live in. There's environment in there, uh, you know, air and water, and so they can uh, stay in there for 30 days. So they can leave away from the base for 30 days and come and go a lot farther than we ever have, right? And there's uh, EVA suit, extra vehicle activity suits on the back of that in a little airlock. So I mean, they can really, really get it done. That's going to be more in the early 2030s time frame. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I got a color TV this time. Got <laughs> <laughs> a big screen. Yeah, got a big screen. That ought to be good. I'm hoping it's Eagle Two has landed. Yeah. That's what I want. I told you last night. So, a couple more things, and then we'll kind of slide up, and we'll see. I, I don't know if we have time for questions, Michelle. We're gonna be good. Um, Obviously, I got to ask you about future plans, goals, aspirations. I know you've already mentioned. I can't talk. Uh, yes, the thing that's happening maybe in the next month. Yes. Okay, yeah. but, but, but just how yeah. you see your trajectory. Yeah, so at this point, I've actually reached the highest uh, rank on the, the GS scale, if anyone's familiar with that. I, I'm a 15, which is like a colonel in the military. Um, I don't, I'm not feeling right now like I want to go into the senior executive service. It's just like general and above. Cause I have my kids in eighth grade. Like, talk to me in a few years. I don't know. That's It's just a, a much bigger commitment. Um, but I am... Of going up in like org chart uh, spaces. It's all very hierarchical in the government. Uh, so I am basically being put in a position to manage more people, which is the part of it that's exciting for me. Um, I'm going to top out after about one more move, and then I don't know. Um, but I really, I do enjoy uh, managing people, like I said, helping people be their best. I enjoy, um, you know, giving people assignments they don't think they can do and then coaching them and, and then they do it and they realize that they're better than they thought they were. Um, and I also enjoy being part of Artemis because I have this ability to see where all the pieces fit of, of a, like a problem and then get people together and figure out the best solution to that problem. I, I do very well facilitating that. So I'm, I'm excited that I can contribute in that way. Um, and that's really, right now, only sort of the next few years is where I'm looking. Uh, you know, I'd like to get my kid to graduate from high school. Some days it seems like it's not going to happen. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, more ultra running, and that's kind of just what I'm focused just in the next few years. Okay. So just a couple more, and this one in particular for the young people. Because, you know, I'm big on 163 years and making sure this place stays around. Um, looking back at your central experience, and where you are today. What role did Central play in that? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, you know, definitely the, the academic excellence, like take advantage of all the opportunities to do um, you know, advanced placement and whatnot, but also just to, to learn as much as you can. The, the curriculum tends to be very heavy, and that gives you the opportunity to learn more. I, I think really, again, what helped being at Central and, um, you know, being in the city is getting to be friends with a lot of different kinds of people and, and being appreciated for who I am, right? And and that experience more helped me because, you know, and that's like you're, you're never doing something by yourself. It doesn't matter anymore if you get 100% on a test. Your team has to do well, right? So I think that's more it is that I started to get um, my, my first case of learning how to work with other people and appreciate other people. and Because it has to be more than just I'm putting up with you, right? You really have to appreciate somebody for who they are in order for everybody to work at their full potential. Okay. All right, last question. You probably saw this. You probably I went did. to the end, then you, you went to the end, and then you came back to the other questions. That's what I do. I think she's an ENTP, Mr. Gale. I think she has our same learning style. So, but. She likes math. <laughs> so I always got to ask this. Yeah. I need to hear your best Central High story. Oh. <laughs> I, you know what? I couldn't really think of one. And I kept thinking about it. I have so many good memories of like the pep rallies we would do on Friday mornings where we would go all oh, around you gotta the tell, hallways. Tell that, and, tell, tell that to the kids. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I was a cheerleader. So the pep rallies on Friday mornings were fun. Uh, taking the trips with. Um, the track team and, and the gymnastics teams to go out to meets, um, the quiz bowls and the physics field day and the French convention, like all the nerdy competitions. Um, yeah, so it's kind of all the extracurricular stuff is what started to pop into my head. Um, Roadshow, had a great time doing Roadshow. And you know, we got up to hijinks, but I don't, I don't have a really good even hijink story. I'm sorry. Okay. I might have been too well behaved. <laughs> <laughs> no regrets. No, I made up for college a little bit. Well, that's a compliment to your parents. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> no, that was her personality. Tom and Teresa grew up. That was totally her personality. And not by her friends. Tom and Teresa. But what about that track when you called me and said you had a concussion? Oh, I did fall. See, that's what I'm telling y'all. I was either really good at hurdles or really not. I was at Lincoln. High and they had an asphalt track. And I did one of my, you know, again, I'm either making finals or I'm biting it. And uh, yeah, I knocked myself out. AC separation of my shoulder. By the time they, we got back to Omaha and she took me to the hospital, there were no concussion symptoms. So clearly, my brain is okay. <laughs> so yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so at this time, I'm going to open. Does anybody have a question they would like to ask Jenny? Yeah. Let's start over here. Go, go for it. Go, Abby. people that there was a building in Astoria that aliens, especially like the new interns. Um, I, I 
I heard a story, I, what, it was before my time, where they convinced a group of new interns to show up like wearing all black at midnight on site, and the security people do not like that. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. Um, so here's what I told the kids. When you start to look at what we have seen previously with Hubble, but even more so now with James Webb, where they take a picture of a little tiny corner of space and there's thousands of galaxies in there, you go like the universe is huge, right? Like incomprehensibly huge. And um, even though I understand the math, it's huge. So there has to be alien life of some kind. Has it visited Earth? I don't know. But I will tell you that we think we might have evidence of alien life and it's a germ. So uh, there was a, a meteorite found in Antarctica in 1984 in the Allen Hills area. So it's meteorite Allen Hills 84001. And um, there's arguments. Uh, there are scientists that say it was contaminated by Earth bacteria. And there are the people I choose to believe that um, say that the meteorite has a, a good crust around it. So as it was coming in the Earth's atmosphere, basically it's, it, you know, solidified and kept everything inside of it so it could not be contaminated and then hung out in the ice in Antarctica until the ice flow eventually brought it up. Inside that meteorite are bubbles of gas that match, match the composition of the Martian atmosphere so they know it came from Mars. Inside that atmosphere are also little microscopic fossilized bacteria. So uh, if we go to Mars, we have to be very careful because there is you know, evidence that water once flowed, and um, there may well be permafrost under the surface. There may well be bacteria there, so we'll have to be very careful when we go there. So I do believe aliens exist, but they're germs. <laughs> it's not as sexy as a green man, but there you go. Andrew, you had a question? Uh, so if the launch happens here in a couple, few weeks, whatever that, that date was, uh, uh, where is the launch from? Where will you be, and will you be just observing like everyone else? Yeah, it'll be um, Kennedy Space Center. Uh, and I have a feeling a lot of Monday morning meetings are going to get canceled because we're all going to be up at 11 p.m. watching it. I will not be in Florida. Um, some of my colleagues might be. I don't know. Uh, I really have to. I've been traveling a lot, and I really have to keep an eye on my kid over the next couple of months, I'm telling you. Um, so yeah, we'll just be uh, probably watching it on the big screen at our own house. Um, that one is, I believe, a 25-day mission. So for Artemis One, um, it can either be uh, it can be between 21 and 42 days. So it's a short class or a long class mission. And basically, the reason for that is because it's the first time we're retrieving the the capsule, and we're also certifying the heat shield. We need to be able to see it with um, assets that are taking you know visible light pictures. So it has to be a daytime landing in the northern hemisphere, which means the moon has to be in the right place and its orbit around Earth to be a daytime landing in the northern hemisphere. So if we launch at a time where the 21 to 28 day mission isn't long enough for that to happen, they'll let it go another orbit around the moon and we're in about a two week orbit around the moon and so the moon can come back around. So um, that's the difference between long and short class. This one short class I think is 25 days for the November 13th opportunity. Out of KSC, Kennedy Space Center is where the launch will be. And the recovery is always, um, it's always gonna land in an area called Fleet of Hot, about 40 nautical miles off the coast of San Diego. And Fleet of Hot is a NASA train, uh, not NASA, Navy, Navy, the other end, Navy training area. So the airspace and the, um, 
uh, Marie's face is always clear, so it's always a safe place for us to land. And the reason they're going unmanned is because they need to test that shield to make sure it survives the atmosphere. That's part of it, yes. Yeah, so they, I mean, this is the first launch of the space launch system, and yes, we have not certified the heat shield because it has to go as fast as the speed that it takes to come back from the. Right, so you go back. Okay, uh, so if you remember Papa Newton, you have to go a certain speed in order to escape Earth's gravity and, and, and get to the moon, right? And so when you come back, you're on that speed, you gotta slow down. Uh, and that slowing down is really hot <laughs> through the Earth's atmosphere. So um, yes, part of it is the heat shield as well. Question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so uh, she asked about commercial flights, good or bad. I mean, I think in the 21st century, it just is what we're going to do. I personally am a fan. I'm not a fan of Elon Musk, like, so let's be honest. He's kind of a, not, not the nicest person. I'll leave it at that. He tweets like a middle school boy I wouldn't let my kid hang out with. Um, <laughs> but uh, I am a fan of what they're doing. And in, in the 21st century, if we're honest, if you look at American politics, buying a service from a commercial provider is really the only way that it's going to get done. So, um, you know, and, and encouraging economic development and economic growth on Earth is not a bad thing. You know, people talk about we spend so much money on space, we're not loading it into a cannon and shooting money into space, right? It's, it's about um, also having an economic engine on Earth. So I'm not opposed to that. I mean, that's not why I do what I do. I'm more into like the airy inspirational stuff, but it's, um, I think it's a positive thing to have the commercial companies. And yeah. the lander you're working on is also being commercially developed. Yeah, so the first lander, um, we already made the selection, SpaceX is gonna do the first lander, and um, we will be picking a second company in the next six to nine months. Yeah. Is that Addison? I, I'm gonna let Addison ask a question, and oh. then we'll go back there. We'll okay. go back there. Like when you're orbiting the Earth? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to orbit the Earth, uh, to walk rather when you're orbiting the Earth. You have to um, have some way of keeping your feet on the ground because you are kind of floating. And even though you're falling around the edge of the Earth, that's technically how you're staying in orbit. From what I hear, you, you don't really feel like you're moving at all. So you, you just kind of do a lot of floating is what they say it feels like. Yeah, I mean, if you push off the wall when you're in space, then you'll just kind of go until something stops you. Yeah, and you can make yourself spin for a long time. Yeah. I like your shirt, too. Do we have a question back there? Yeah. Um, is there anything you're scared or worried about for the I mean, you know, spaceflight is always dangerous. So um, I think for the first moon landing, the thing that's, um, that concerns me the most is that the SpaceX lander is 15 stories tall. And for those of you going, why do you need a 15-story lander? No, they go to the moon. Because it's their Mars lander and they're practicing um, with the moon. And they have actually, in order for the crew to get out of the capsule on top, they have this, they call it an elevator, but it's, y'all, it's like the window washer platform with the cables on the side. 
15 stories, and then it's got to work to get them back up. That is probably my biggest concern. Um, and also, you know, I mean, every rocket engine has inherent risk. So, did that answer your question? Okay. Right. Uh, can you elaborate on the differences between SLS and Saturn V? Okay, yeah, differences between SLS and Saturn V. Um, SLS will have more thrust, so it so is these a bigger are the rocket. Rockets. Yes, yes. Um, the uh, although SLS is a very um, shuttle derivative, right? So if you see a picture of SLS, it's got two white solid rocket boosters on the side, just like shuttle, but an extra uh, segment for more oomph. That's the technical term. And then uh, it's got the orange tank in the middle. Does the same job as the external tank on the shuttle. Holds propellant. It's a lot more propellant for the oomph. And then the, the, there's four engines on the bottom of it. Those are all space shuttle main engines. The space shuttle had three, this one's four. Um, the upper stage uh, for the first few missions is going to be kind of weaker than we expected, which is why we're a bit more limited on those first few missions. Our more powerful exploration upper stage isn't being uh, developed for another few years. Um, so it's just a matter of like the type of engine. They're, they're both multi-stage. Saturn V is also multi-stage. Just uh, different types of engines. Also having the solid rocket boosters on the, on the side is very different. Saturn V stages all were sort of vertical. Um, and then the Orion capsule itself actually uses a shuttle mean, a shuttle uh, ohms engine, orbital metering system engine. Uh, that element that has the power and the engine is being developed by ESA Exploration, uh, European Space Agency rather. So the Europeans are giving us that component. Um, but it is a smidge less performance than the Apollo service module and we have four people. So all you rocket scientists out there, less performance, more people. You know, it's, it, it makes it a bit more challenging and that's why we're going into a staging orbit with the lander before we take the lander down uh, closer to the moon. So did that answer your question? Wow. <laughs> Whoa. So uh, let's give Jenny a big round of applause. We got here. You know, the thing about Central always amazes me is the people and the passion. And you reiterated, and I heard Janine say the same thing, the desire to give back more than they take. And I know, as I said last night, that is a DNA element of Central High. Yeah, thank you for that reminder. For for my young people, um, in, and and even you, Addison, listen up. So particularly in high school, um, but I think you can start this when you're younger. You're you're going to be focused on where you need to go, right? You're going to be focused on getting your next thing, and that totally makes sense. Build your career. Always, always be looking behind you to see who you can help bring along with you, right? So when you're Addison's age, it might be a preschooler that you can help learn how to tie their shoes, right? And when you're in high school, you might be mentoring a middle schooler or even encouraging your, your colleagues. Always do that, always encourage each other because that makes everything more easy. When you get into uh, college and you start doing internships, come back and talk to Central. Come back and do some education outreach from where you have done your internships. When you get a job, start uh, mentoring interns. When you get to my place, I have so many, I have way more mentoring sessions than I should be allowed to have. But I make good use of tax credit dollars. I'm not wasting anybody's <laughs> money. But um, it's really important. I mean, number one, you're obligated to. You just, I'm sitting here telling you right now that this is your, like I'm, you, I'm pointing a finger, right? You're obligated to. 
And also it's really gonna make your life a heck of a lot more fulfilling. So absolutely um, be looking to get back now. I think we're done here, ladies and gentlemen. Big round of applause.